Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. Asian flesh. We all get it, or maybe some of us don't, the lucky ones at least. Um, This is a topic that Jeff and I have been wanting to talk about since day one of the podcast, as I feel like it's one of those topics that doesn't really get much daylight, to be honest, and I feel like it's something a lot of Asians experience that we don't necessarily talk about to each other. Um, And coupled with that is the experience of being an Asian in the wine industry, an industry that, quite frankly, is quite white and male-dominated. Um, so we are very excited today to speak to our friend Moi, a wine industry professional who currently works at Blackheart and Sparrows and who just published a magazine, the Raison magazine, a wine magazine which through stories, essays, illustrations and everything in between celebrates the way wine intersects with different parts of our culture. Welcome Moi, how are you today? I'm so good, so good. How are you two? Good, it's so good to see you. Good, good. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Before we start, do you Asian flush? I know Jeff and I definitely. Is that a verb? Can you say, can you Asian flush? Yeah, do you Asian flush? I feel like. (laughs) Do you even Asian flush, bro? (laughs) Um, I do. Yeah, I do. I'm one of those one in three people, one in three East Asians that get Asian flush. I'm pretty lucky though because I'm quite brown. So even though I get Asian flush in the sense that mm-hmm. like my cheeks are super hot when I drink, um, you can't really see it as much. It's mainly just like a little blush of something. Oh, but lucky, lucky. It's so, so you get it quite bad. That. Yeah, I guess just to you know get started then. Like drinking culture in Asian Australian families is a very interesting topic. As you know, growing up, there's a spectrum of you know how relaxed or how tight your parents can be about drinking. Do you have any interesting anecdotes about your family and how they view drinking or at least your personal experience with drinking and alcohol? Yeah, I feel like my parents, like any other Asian parents, as you can relate, were pretty like strict on the don't drink thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was though for my parents, it was much more of like don't get drunk as much as don't drink. Like we would have mm. a bottle of wine with dinner maybe on like special occasions. And nowadays, especially as I'm like, older and I work in wine like we'll have drinks and beers but I think definitely in high school they were pretty like nah don't get drunk but still would sign all those notes do you remember when they had to when oh we were in high wow school? yeah like the, those parties where you had to like yeah you'd be like I consent that my child can drink alcohol like my mom and dad were like chill about signing those um and they were like they kind of knew it was sort of happening but probably maybe not to the extent that it actually was because I'd yeah, be like I yeah. don't get drunk that's not me um and I think mom had this funny thing I think I don't know if it's like an Asian like specifically to like Indonesians but she had this thing in her head where she was like naughty girls drink beer <laughs> like you could drink other other things were like five like, naughty <laughs> girls drank beer and you weren't meant to drink beer as a girl she drinks beer and they like mom and dad both did lived in Germany for a little bit so they're like a little oh, bit more loose yeah. but it's still one of those things that she throws out as though it's common knowledge it's just like yeah but naughty girls don't drink beer and I'm like what okay what's the what's the alternative in high school cruises is that what you started oh, with? i have no idea i don't know what booze people drink in indonesia where that would even become like 
a thing that people say, you know. Yeah, fair. I was definitely on the on the cruiser train. Oh yeah, hot. Oh wow, yeah, like classic first thing you drink tastes like out like tastes like soft drink, and then two later you're like knocked out in someone's backyard or in like some random park down the street. <laughs> True, we love. Or at yeah. least I feel like I remember just like having like two sips of the cruises and I'm, I think it was placebo and I was like, oh my God, I feel so drunk even though like I've had like these like two very, very small sips of like, you know, when you're like 16. I feel like those sorts of high school parties are the ones that sort of shape a lot of our drinking experiences. Like I think when I was first getting into drinking, I was drinking a lot because yeah, I don't know, it wasn't that calm. I was definitely one of 1.5 Asian people in my friendship group mm. and I think that that probably shaped how I was going about drinking at parties at a young age. Like I would just drink a lot because I'd be like, I'm one of the cool Asians mm. that drinks because I feel like not a lot of the time were Asian yeah. people invited to those parties really. Yeah, yeah, exactly the same. It was almost like a, almost like competition. It was just like proving yourself mm. that you could actually drink a lot, which actually ended up in one of the defining factors of my high school life when I like blacked out and the, like the cops came and this, it, was, it was terrible my parents got called and they they thought I got hit by a car I was just, like, oh my god not moving what and so before, like prior to that they hadn't they kind of turned a blind eye to the whole situation his dad comes from the north of China where drinking is so prevalent and it's it's almost mm. like a sport for them like he used to tell me, no deal in China is completed unless everyone around the table is plastered. And so that's the sort of culture like he comes from in terms of in terms of drinking. So it was kind of loose. And then after that, for the remainder of my high school years, they were like breathing down my neck, like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to like ruin your brain. Mm. You're going to screw up your ATAR yeah. and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So that was the that was the classic. Screw up yeah. your ATAR. Most important Screw up thing. your ATAR. It's the most important thing. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. No, this echoes my uh, teenage years as well. And to be honest, I feel like my mum still holds reservations about me drinking. I think to her, she doesn't really see it as like a necessary form of like social. Absolutely. She's just like to me, mm. why can't you just have orange juice or water? Like it's just as good. <laughs> it's not even better. And like, you know, in that way as well, you don't like, it's unhealthy for you. I think she kind of sees it from like yeah. a health point of view. Yeah. More so yeah. than like getting drunk and. Uh, you should do what I did to my mum, which is show her the article that tells you that drinking a glass of wine extends your life by like five years. And like <laughs> mum just actually now, I would say drinks like a, an alcoholic beverage every so often, like more than <laughs> she used to when I was in high school. But. Yeah. At what point did you guys transition from drinking for the sake of it and like drinking at parties and socializing, you know, to the point where you actually really enjoy drinking alcohol, be it wine or beer? It's a great question. Because you are a, you are uh, super into wine at the moment. I know, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. So that was a that was a recent addition. I would say maybe third, second or third year uni. Oh. And I think it was the enjoyment that came with having one or two drinks after class mm, versus yeah. like at a party. And it the was just, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was like this, um, this culture was just relaxing and it was almost like a side to the actual conversation and the actual getting together amongst people. So like enjoying each other's company. And I thought like the alcohol thing was it, was, it was there and it was like enjoyable, but I thought the whole experience around it was, was very nice. And, I think just like solo drinking was probably like last two years at home. 
And obviously, especially through lockdown, there was like months where it was every single day. Don't want to admit it, but it got to that <laughs> it point. Happens. It happens. It happens. It really does happen. And then, you know, I would get the exact same lecture from mom. She would show me all these articles about like liver cancer and all this other stuff. So um, that, that was probably me. Mm. Yeah. Especially because our mom and dads would never like just have a cash bev every now and then, you know, like you'd never yeah. be Actually, like... my dad drinks like every, every day. Oh, does Actually, he? my dad too. He's a beer drinker. What? what who are you? What's going on here? Wild. Yeah. Dad goes like, depending on the day, either beer, whiskey, sometimes cognac. Oh, right. You know? Love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, a little fancy, um, but every single day. For sure. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Moy? Because obviously you're working like in the industry now. Um, clearly you have a passion for wine. Is that something yeah. that you felt transitioned quite easily? It's funny because school? I feel like I haven't actually outgrown the drinking to get drunk part of my life. Oh, neither. Like, no. <laughs> I said, I would love to say that like I'm always drinking these great things, but most of the time, like, you know, you just – you sit with your mates and you're not thinking about what you're drinking. You just drink because it's part of like what you do. You have someone over a wine or you go for beers. Um, and like, I do really enjoy it, but it's fun, but it's definitely to do with more with just like context. And like, there are times where I'll go out and have a really nice dinner and like think about a wine and, and talk about it. But yeah, since wine is so social and so people related, it's probably just boozy most of the time. Don't really think mm. too much about what I'm drinking. People, people are getting a bit more picky with what they drink now is what I'm Oh, noticed. true. Like, like I'm ever... never going to drink shit, like shit, actually shit wine. Sorry. I feel like I'm I never should... going back to goon. No, no. <laughs> I mean, they, are, they have started goon. making fancy goon sacks now. So that's true. I actually bought one of those. They are very cute. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. So cute. Um, and just so convenient. Like I think at this point when you're smashing for like a bottle of me and my house will, housemates will probably drink a bottle of wine a night, um, which is like a glass and a half or two each. Mm. Um, but it's just you know it's healthy it's healthy it's so good and it's so fun drinking wine is so fun it's so silly sometimes yeah so we mentioned it before but asian flush is actually now something that plagues all of us all three of us but we still feel it's pretty widely misunderstood within a western context and i feel like there's so many times when i've gone out and people have just pointed it out especially in like i think the worst times is when it's in a work context because mm. you just want to relax, you want to you want to have a bed with your colleagues and stuff, and then someone it's usually someone older comes and like points it out, and they're like, "Are you drunk?" And it's this like annoying narrative that gets repeated over and over and over again. But obviously, like we wanna we wanna try talk about use this episode as a way to essentially talk about some of the productive ways in which we can start to have a better conversation around Asian flush and potentially move towards destigmatizing it. So we want to ask you, do you have any sort of productive ways, any cool ideas that people could potentially adopt? Um, I guess when it comes to like destigmatizing it, you have to kind of unpick pick at what the stigma actually is around it. And I think for me, at least when I started noticing that people noticed Asian flush, it was always just in media and it being brought up in a way that was comedic. I feel like mm. that's how everyone knows about Asian Flush. Even the name Asian Flush is a very like comical way of talking mm. about someone having it. What it is is an allergic reaction to alcohol. You know, like yeah. Yeah. you know, it's something you're essentially talking about someone's body and like just the things that happen because bodies are weird. Um, you know, it's like calling someone out when they go red in front of their crush. It's like, it's not a cool thing to do. It's, mm. but they do it because it's funny. Um, and I think just being pretty real with your white mates about 
just like it's kind of not cool to do it you know yeah like, it's actually like... so embarrassing like I, I it's just, so yeah, mean you, know, you, you call so many times when you're at parties someone's like oh my god look at you you're, you're eight you're so red like it's Asian flesh and it's like what do you expect like how do you want me to respond to that like <laughs> yeah. laugh like I cry I don't know what you want me to say like it yeah. sucks um and I remember like I remember it was so liberating because I went I remember going to this Asian party and the thing was like because everyone was Asian and because most of us Asian Asian flushed if I can say that as a verb there were people just handing out Zyrtec like left right and center and it was so normalized I mean mind you I'm pretty sure Zyrtec is now recorded because I think it's carcinogenic but point Mm -hmm. being that it was it felt nice when you were in a context with people who also had a very similar experience to you, that being mm. Asians and who people were Asian flush. And it's just nice to like be able to drink and like not have to worry about like being pointed out or called out for like going red. Oh, yeah. totally. Especially when like the only time when I am just drinking with Asian mates, it never comes up. Yeah. Or if it is, it's never. like it's actually funny. Whereas like when it happens in like with yeah, people who don't necessarily know what's going on, it's just not a nice feeling it's like oh I'm being othered this yeah isn't... exactly and like like you were saying Jeff before about you know drinking at work like do you find that you would have to like consciously limit yourself to not drink as much so you wouldn't flush yeah well when I started my first job I was I just didn't drink or I would nurse a beer for genuinely an hour mm. so mm. by the time I'd finished it the first half of it had already like metabolized inside my body and it was completely right. fine. So you have Obviously, to be that's not pretty active and on top of it. Yeah, exactly. Which is which is annoying. You don't. You know, I don't want to drink like a lukewarm beer slowly just because I don't want people to see me go red. And after a while, I just came to the conclusion that was just like fuck it. Like I'm just going to be red. Like maybe if I'm confident around it, people will just assume it's just a normal thing. And it's not like it's limited to Asian people. I think a lot of my, like my white mates get red when they drink and like similar effects it like goes across their bodies and their faces flush up but obviously it looks slightly different but i think the main thing for me was just developing just being a bit more confident around it and approaching it in a way where it's just a normal thing versus trying to hide it or trying to because you don't you don't want to like make a big deal out of it so if someone calls you out for it you just sort of explain it calmly mm. and that's usually the end of it for me but in some context where i get a little bit embarrassed mm. um it might just lead to more questions and people just watch you a bit closer because a lot of the time it's a self-fulfilling prophecy right like you you get red someone mm-hmm. calls you out for being red you get embarrassed you get even redder uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Totally. i think it works i think it works both ways i think it works both ways i think if you if you have it yeah um I'm sure there is, I believe, some sort of benefit towards acceptance and just a bit of confidence around um, holding it. But also just if you're on the other side, you are seeing someone have it, just just don't call it out. It's a normal thing. Yeah. It's a normal thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, I definitely have heard stories of friends of mine who have been knocked back from clubs and bars and not let into venues because oh. as you know as you've said like people assume that when you're that red you're actually drunk and they would have been like I'm, I'm literally so sober I've had one drink and they're like yeah. nah, you gotta go take a walk <clears throat> you come back when you're not drunk and it's like how and that's kind of just a way that like Asian people are excluded from a lot of drinking cultures and I mean you know you it seems like you've got this tenacity to be like yeah I'm just gonna get over it fuck it like I'm gonna drink and work functions but when you don't have that sort of 
empowerment, I guess, if that's the word for it. But if you don't have the confidence to be like, no, I'm going to own this. um, It can just be really easy to be like, no, I'm not going to be involved with drinking. And like, that's why I think I was reading a whole bunch of papers on it. A lot of studies show that Asian American university students will be so deterred by their experiences that they have, like being pointed out for being Asian, that they just don't go back to Mm. drinking, which is such a shame because like, think about how you hang out with your mates. It's how you like and so much of that is drinking so Mm. if you're not going to drink or you feel like you've had this negative experience when you've had asian flush you're not going to want to drink which means that you're isolating yourself to a certain culture or maybe that's why you see a lot of like asian friendship groups all just hang out with each other and there's just less Mm. mingling of cultures i don't know that's a hot take but no that's actually a very interesting point yeah for sure i mean like so much of australian culture is built around drinking it's it's like the casual or the work drinks where people get to relax and you get to know your colleagues a bit better but at the Mm. same time this is also like prime networking opportunity as much as you know you wish it was totally uh, yeah you you wish like work was built around you know meritocracy it's all about effort and you know what you put in is what you get out but that's not how it works it's really about connections and a lot of the time those really good conversations you have to get to know someone better is when you are both slightly tipsy so I have a number of colleagues that refuse to drink mm. at social events because uh, they just get really nervous and they don't want to be viewed as like the drunk person and they want to be composed and, you know, not have someone look at them and just sort of judge them and think a bit less of them mm. because they don't look completely sober when they might be. So these are, these are the, these are the shitty things about it. I think number one, can't drink and then number two you're almost like punished for not drinking so it's like where where do you fall where's Mm. like the happy medium that people can fall into so that's 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 my that's Mm. my sort of qualm with the whole thing and it like it annoys me a lot so i'm hoping my goal is by the time like we reference this in our uh, uh, corporate diversity episode when the next wave of leaders come i'm sure there's going to be lots of asians there and like it'd be amazing if you saw on tv you know, when people mm. are drinking and stuff, like leaders or like a prime minister or some sort of CEO, and he's red. And it's mm. like, that's that's cool. He's, mm. he's, he looks like us, you know? It's a, it's a broadly it's fine. Accept- yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's yeah. literally what happens. It's yeah, so it's normal. What happens. It's yeah. fine. It's yeah. fine, yeah. Although on the flip side, and I don't know if you guys can relate, but I actually sometimes feel a little bit guilty about drinking because I even flush because it's lit- like you said before, Moy, it's like an allergic reaction, right? It's like your mm. body... Being oh able yeah, to we probably should process. drink that. <laughs> I feel so. Oh, 100%. Like, it's like, not good like, for us. I no, shouldn't be doing really this, but like, God, it like it tastes good. And also, like, time. I don't know if you want to hear this, but there is there is a study that this Melbourne Uni um oh I've read that dude yeah. did um, dude is probably <laughs> a pro- pro- professor. I think that's the correct sorry <laughs> um thing uh where he found that. When you have Asian flush or when you get Asian flush, because of the allergy thing that's going on in your body, you're also more likely to get liver cancer. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's that. like definitely bad for us to drink. There's no, yes. um, yeah, there's not like, it's not really necessarily a question. Alas, here we are. <laughs> what can you do? So I feel like, you know, the career path as a wine industry professional isn't something that is quite conventional, especially amongst Asians. And I'm quite curious as to hear, you know, when your fascination with wine first began and what led you to this path. I mean, it's something that I feel like you admire from a distance, you know, like, you know, akin to like a food critic or the wine critic. And I feel mm. like it'd be, yeah, it's just a profession that I haven't really heard much about. So I'd love to get your insights into 
how you first got started with it and yeah I guess your passion for wine and where that when that first ignited I feel like my passion for wine kind of started with food like my mm. family is like I mean a lot of Asian families are we're so into food like we just go out all the time to restaurants and things and I've got an older brother um, who's six years older than me and he got really into wine um, because of this Melbourne Uni subject that Melbourne Uni runs. Oh my God, is this the oh, European yeah. summer one? The wine tasting. The wine tasting ones. It's so wild. <laughs> so you got a dookie. Yeah. You got a dookie, the agricultural, and you just get like, you just do, it's a five days intensive where you go out there and you taste a bunch of wines or you make wine or you just, yeah, do stuff. And so he so came nice. back and did that, um, which was when I was about 17 or 18 and getting into drinking. So he was always drinking nice wine and I'd sort of got it and being like, you know, a younger sister who wanted to be exactly like their cool older brother kind of started there. Um, and then I went and did those intensives when I was at uni and I was working at, in hospo um, for a bit. And I just really loved it. Those Melbourne uni lecturers are actually like straight up one of the most like inspiring people. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Linguistics is cool, but like wine's pretty cool too. Wine is cool. Um, and also just, <laughs> yeah, it, going to wine parties as well. Like I think Melbourne's really cool in that it's got so many cool people doing cool wine things and bringing in interesting wines. And, and it's around this like really fun scene of wine parties where you go and just like taste through wines and just like meet really interesting people um, and have a lot of fun partying. Basically, yeah, I kind of, came into wine through partying um and cool really great people drinking cool wines and that so uh i don't think i'm cool enough to have been invited to a, a wine party can you talk us through what happens at a wine party yeah and how we can get an invite to that uh they're all they're all just ticketed events basically like there's these there's these two events specifically um sulfur wine and handmade which both starred by this importer called Camburn, who's a legend and basically, like, you buy a ticket, it's like 40, 50 bucks for a ticket, and there's just 50 odd, 50 to 100 producers that come in and just like have their wines there. And you go in with a glass and you go around, and you chat to them, and they pour you their wines, they tell you about it. And then eventually, the wine, everyone's wasted, uh, and these, you know, fun, cool techno party disco DJs come on and it just turns into a big kind of party. Um, and they happen like that twice a year. There are tastings that kind of happen at Black Arts and tastings that happened across the place. And it's a hospo scene, you know, all these parties happen on a Sunday. So, yeah, they're sick and they're so much fun. <laughs> and they're very silly. It sounds it. Sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah I'll take you the next one. Oh, my Done. God, please. We'd love to. We'd love to. I mean, is there something that you think you'll pursue just like moving forward with your career path and everything? Like, like, where do you want to ultimately end up as a sommelier? Is that kind of, like, I guess, like, what is the conventional kind of steps in wine? Or is it very broad that there isn't really a conventional kind of pathway in wine? Yeah, I don't think there is. Like, I started in hospo and I've done a bit of somming stuff when I was living in the UK. Um, and then I kind of did wine retail because everyone sort of burns out after doing hospo for all. I didn't even do it for that long. I'm, like, young as. I'm just like, oh, I've burnt out. Hospo was too hard. And I was like, I did it for, like, <laughs> two or three years. I'm chilling. But, yeah, late nights are kind of not a vibe anymore for me. And working in a wine shop kind of really helps mediate that thing. Of like, I'm at home in bed by, like, 10 o'clock or 9.30. Um, and, yeah, in terms of career-wise, like, maybe. I think wine's always going to be a big part of my life. But I've, you know, studied linguistics. I'd love to – making this 
magazine is uh, you know a way for me to integrate my love of wine and my love of writing and language and things so mm. who knows I also am super passionate about mental health like I have no idea where I'm gonna be I mean, I think that's kind of the beauty of our generation is that probably no, change industries a hundred different times yeah combine all it that. all a mental health session over wine oh yeah so good there are some cool events with that happening as well no I love that so um, we'd love to sort of get a macro view of what the, because obviously Isabella and I, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't understand, but give us a sort of walkthrough of the wine industry in Australia and how it's been sort of changing the last few years, if at all, when it comes to things like representation and diversity and are there Asian winemakers in Australia? That is, that is a big question. Oh my God, Jeff, let me tell you, like, no, which is crazy. No, there are, there's, there, I know of three or two really. Um, yeah. And I was looking for a while, I was trying to write this article for Verizon, which was trying to find people of color who are making wine. And I really struggled, especially within like in the wines that I'm interested in. I know that um, uh, Shashi and Dev in Mornington, they make Avani wines. They are both an Indian couple and they make wines which are incredible and they're the most lovely people. And I know of Nav who makes Simha wines in Tasmania. And other than that, um, I don't know, which is crazy mm. because it's like, yeah. you know, that's nuts. Um, and I mean, I could be wrong. And even just like Soms wise, I've asked a few people that I know and not very many people I know are Soms. There are maybe like one or two, um, even worse. So like in wine judging. So there's like actually no people of color in, you know, top wine judging positions, which I mean, I'm sure there are, and I've been told of a few names, but I looked through the whole bloody um, fucking Australian Association for Wine Tasting Judges, or there's a few bodies of them. I just looked through. Is that like, actually what it's called? No, it's called something. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of just got so disillusioned because I scrolled through 30 pages of names of Australian wine judges, and none of them were Asian. And I was oh. like, okay, yeah. true. <laughs> and so I think that's actually like quite problematic because it puts the power of like a good palette and what's good and what's acceptable uh, into the, into white people, basically, yeah. you know, mm. like Absolutely. if wine is about flavor and wine is about palettes and, mm. you know, as we know, like this Asian and the Western palette are so different. Um, it kind of sets this tone that European palettes are actually correct. You know, you're looking at wine, mm. which has like 380 volatile compounds, you know, it smells like apples, smells like pears and, but it also smells like durians and mango steens and everything, oh. but the focus is quite Eurocentric and it's always just like, yeah, you know, Riesling tastes like mm. apple, limes and lemons and Sav Blanc tastes like grass and passion fruit. And it's like, yeah, but like, does it? Or is it just because the only people tasting them and are actually authorities on what wine is like are mm. white? Oh my God, um, I've never thought of it like that before, but it is so yeah, correct though. Because yeah, like you have these like white gatekeepers who obviously like, you know, set the threshold or the bar for like what like a Sav Blanc should taste like or like what this should taste mm. like I mean have you found that you know being Chinese Indonesian yourself that kind of your interpretation of wine or what a wine tastes like has been like vastly different to like let's say a white person does that make sense totally it's why I love drinking with my brother and um a couple of other friends who are Asian and like no Asian flavors because they'll smell something in the glass and like dude that smells exactly like snake fruit in Indonesia like it smells <laughs> like this and it smells like that and it smells like you know because so much of the time when you're talking about wine what it smells like you're talking about your experiences yeah and like yeah. 
I relate all these things to, um, you know, growing up in Indonesia, but those mm. things don't become relevant unless you're speaking to other Asian people, which is the kind of sad thing about the lack of diversity in the wine industry is mm. because you're almost like, whoa, I know so much about wine, but then no one actually thinks I know that much mm. about wine because they can't contextualize my understanding of it. Um, for instance, I had this friend who I was speaking to and he worked in Celador in the Yarra Valley and like, you know, he'd go through the, the thing, the wines and be like, oh, Chardonnay, you can smell stone fruit and you can smell like vanilla, blah, blah, blah. But every time he'd have an Asian person come in, he'd get them to sniff the glass and be like, what do you smell? And they'd be like, whoa, it smells like durian. And he's like, yeah, it does <laughs> smell like durian. And it's this whole like little thing, but yeah. it's just, um, yeah, a small part of it. No, um, but that's the thing. Yeah. Like, it's such a small part of, you know, the vernacular and how you describe wine, but obviously it has such like profound impacts on how you view wine, but also, yeah, like the gatekeepers, right? Um, but just on that, have you ever found yourself questioned as like a wine industry professional, like by virtue of like, you know, looking Asian and I guess someone questioning whether or not you have authority to judge what's a good wine and whatnot? Like, have, do you have any anecdotes or any experiences? Literally so many, oh, which no. sucks. I yeah, I like wish oh. I didn't have them. And I feel like it's also specific to, I mean, it's, it's really hard to not gaslight yourself in these situations because mm-hmm. I don't know any other young Asian women who are in the wine industry. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure that like what I'm experiencing is racism, but I also have no one to like validate oh, this yeah. with, which is like really difficult. Like I, I mean, it is in some ways. Like I know that me and my female coworkers have sometimes just been like, yeah, that guy was not at all like into listening to what we had to say because we were like little women. But also, but more so when I'm yeah Asian, I've had just like people say pretty explicitly racist comments to me and be like oh what I didn't realize that Asian people like drank wine and I was like Mm. yep I do and like Mm. oh whoa do you actually know like you actually know your shit and I'm like yes yes I do I have been literally working here for so long like one of the worst things people have said has been like oh you know like what 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 wine pairs well with dog and I'm like what are you even talking about no it's so bad this was in the UK and I think like to be fair a lot of those experiences in the UK and a lot of the ones that happen here are very much microaggressions but it still just becomes this like fight to be like yes no I know what I'm talking about I do know what I'm talking about I do know what I'm talking about but just having to reassure yourself I feel like the more that I think about it the more I'm like yeah I never want to work in wine again but I you know just I'm very lucky to be supported by some very very great people um that I work with so that that doesn't become an issue that's crazy God, that is crazy. And I, I've, I've just been thinking about the whole thing of saying when people, t- I'm sorry, I'm, we're going to backtrack a little bit because I, I keep thinking about it, the whole taste thing. Mm. Like if the leading authorities on tasting are telling you that this is what it tastes like, a lot of the time you're sort of conditioning yourself to look for those flavors mm-hmm. instead of looking at it holistically. Because I'm thinking like when you read a bottle and it has tasting notes mm. on it, if you read something, you're going to you're gonna automatically think about those flavors versus, you know, maybe drawing more inspiration like from the younger and stuff totally and you know the other thing i was thinking about is it'd be interesting to see if over the next 20 30 years where there are more asian or people of color um who are sort of leading wine tasters because i I feel like drinking culture in asia is very different and Mm. to be to be fair i can i can speak about like sort of my family's experiences and particularly again my dad's side 
they don't drink alcohol for enjoyment. Like everything's a mm. skull. Like they, they totally. drink red wine and they'll pay like thousands of dollars for it. It's more about the prestige of what the alcohol is. Mm. So in China, the king is like Beijing, like um, shit that's like 55 to 70 percent mm. tastes like literally lighter fluid. But people will drop <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars on it because there's just prestige with it. And when they drink it, it's all about being liberal and not enjoy- just sculling it with everything like what red wine's actually quite big in china but they just scull it there's <laughs> no such yeah. thing as like sipping and you know swirling your glass and sniffing so it will be really interesting to see if that culture around maybe sort of approaching drinking a little differently actually changes in a lot of asian countries um and maybe hopefully there's a lot more professionals and experts that come out of there as well Definitely. And I think it's all just like it ties very much back into that whole conversation about Asian flush. And I think that if people didn't have such negative experiences drinking in their younger years, specifically like Asian people, there probably would be more people in the wine industry as well, because people are just going to, you know, actually drink instead of having like being scared about experiences that they've had in their past where they've been othered or made yeah. to feel embarrassed or whatever around alcohol. I guess moving forward then, so, you know, in your opinion, what do you think, like, needs to change, like, fundamentally over the next few decades? And, you know, ultimately, what is your kind of ideal vision for the Australian wine industry and the people who are in it? Yeah, um, I, it's so, I was thinking about this a lot this week, um, and it's really hard because I can't actually picture what it would look like to have more Mm. Asian people in positions of power, which is pretty sad, but it's like, I don't, I don't know, you know, like I I think a lot of the language and like opening people up to more flavors like that would be really great. Yeah, I guess I would love to see more Asian people in positions of power, but I don't necessarily know what that looks like because it feels like a very distant future. Yeah. Um, just because it's just not really happening at the moment. I think a lot of the wine industry works around nepotism because it is, you know, at the end of the day, it's an agricultural mm field Mm. so if you're getting people to work on vineyards it's physical labor you're getting things through word of mouth you get a lot of international applicants but a lot of the time you're just hiring people that you know or have worked for you and it's all this very you know tight-knit community I would just love for people to actually do diversity hiring in wine like that's Mm. not a thing Mm. you look at wine Australia who is just like the body of wine Australia that does all the wine things and builds up leaders and stuff and they're not even having any kind of leaders who are people of color and that's not a priority for them and i think that Mm. after this year especially with the black lives matter movement there were so many black songs in america just being like you need to be addressing the fact that people are experiencing racism in the wine industry and that hadn't been a conversation that was being had until this year Mm. oh sorry last year so I mean, I'm pretty optimistic, to be honest. Like, I think it's there's heaps of room for just people to encourage young wine drink, young Asian people or young people of colour to just join the wine industry. There's people who are already doing it, but there's definitely more to be done. My uh, sort of midlife crisis plan is to buy a vineyard and uh, to become a winemaker with zero experience and open a small restaurant on the side. So... Uh, check in in about twenty years' time, and uh, oh, maybe we can get you and down. me. We can buy a we can we can buy a vineyard together. My plan True. is to die oh in Tasmania. Oh, that would be incredible! My dream is to die in Tasmania, only eating oysters and like <laughs> making sparkling wine. Like that's just that's happening. I'm I've told oh, like my best friends. Amazing. I'm like we're all gonna die together with a hundred dogs around us and so much. I don't want to make slides anymore. 
I just want to <laughs> pick grapes. It's so oh, fun. That's so luxurious. I love it. I love that. And I, I feel like that's something that, you know, just this, I guess this need for like more diverse people represented in wine is something that is just so common across other industries as well. Um, but what Jeff and I have come to the conclusion of in our corporate diversity episode especially is is honestly the fact that it's just a generational change. Like mm, 20 years from totally, now, totally, totally, it will be a completely different market. So, yeah, I'm excited yeah. for this landscape too and um, excited yeah. to see you at the forefront of it. Oh, yeah, 100%. Me and my little, little empire building thing over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking, of, speaking of empire, why don't you tell us about the magazine you're working on, Verizon? Uh, people can now pre-order the magazine and we're going to include all those links when this episode comes out um, so yeah tell us a bit about it yeah Verizon's crazy Verizon's nuts uh, just because <laughs> it launched like two days ago and it's I mean so far doing well watch the space maybe by the time this episode airs it's just tanked but um, <laughs> hopefully Doubt not yeah, touch wood touch so much wood um, but touching too. <laughs> um, yeah Verizon's this magazine that I've been working on it was sort of like an ISO project um, that came from working in wine shops and I guess like just having people always ask the same questions about natural wine and about like what like wine things and just being like oh I could just make a publication that puts into print all these things that you need to know about wine but also kind of uses wine as a conduit to explore parts of our social culture, like looking at Asian drinking cultures and like mm. why it is the way it is or like what sort of prejudices that people have towards the type of booze or what sort of, you know, wine and movies and just like a really, because I think alcohol culture is like such a prominent part of our lives as we've touched on before and there's so many different angles that we can go about and approach and play with it. Um, and I'm really lucky to have this just incredible team of like graphic designers and writers and photographers and filmmakers who all love wine, but also just that's not their main thing. I don't think wine's anyone's like main, main thing. Um, they all just have heaps of other interests which can translate really well visually and on print. And yeah, so it's a lot of things. And I think what it also wants to be is it wants to dismantle a lot of that Eurocentric thing that we were talking about in wine like I would love oh, for Verizon to be a space that just yeah. is that much more encouraging of like just people from diverse backgrounds into drinking like I'm pretty over going to wine events like wine taste trade wine tastings and like all these wine parties and stuff and being one of the 10 Asian people there you know like making it a place that people feel comfy drinking and like learning about wine in a non-wanky non-pretentious mm. like just out there to meet new people and have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the thing I was going to say. I, I feel like the perception of wine is this very elite, inaccessible kind of industry that's only dominated totally. by like white men. It's got huge barriers. I feel yeah. So, yeah. That, so that's the thing. Like I feel like even just seeing someone like you, Moy, just like a young Asian woman in it, like you feel like I already feel so much more comfortable like entering or oh, just like talking about that space. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> it, it really does, and I feel like it makes such an impact when you kind of are able to relate to people who actually are in that industry and it just makes things less elitist, less exclusive. Yeah, and using everyday language that like young people use when we describe wine, we're not sitting there being like, ooh, we smell like aromas of blah, 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 blah. It's like, man, I want to drink this wine in a bathtub with a joint in my hand. That's like, yeah. that's the way that... <laughs> I want to be thinking about wine. That's like, a description oh. you want in a bottle. Yeah. I'm like, take this when you're having yumcha or like, yes, you know, yeah. and want to do a boozy breakfast. Like, fuck. Make it relatable, you know. You know? Watermelon juice. Yeah, exactly. It. 
and especially because like wine goes I mean like it's a continuation of food you know like Asian people love food it's like add wine to it you're getting yeah. drunk and drinking food that yeah. goes well with the wine it's just <laughs> we love flavor so let's get around that I love that we should get it on the t-shirt we <laughs> we love flavor let's get around that I, I we love flavor maybe coming soon as i am merch <laughs> <laughs> here for flavor wow honestly this has been such an enlightening conversation Molly. and if anything i'm very excited to just like pour myself a glass of wine right now um and let's, do it you know drink in solidarity um but no thank you so much again for coming it is yeah i'm sure i've learned a lot and i'm sure our listeners have as well um, and definitely very excited to buy your magazine and would encourage everyone else to do it as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much again. It's been a delight to have you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been terrifying but very fun and so exciting. <laughs> I love talking about booze with fellow Asian people. And uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. So if you enjoy this podcast, show us a bit of love by clicking the subscribe or follow button. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. See you later.